spoke a while back on uh, on a topic, and I, I thought this one kind of went with it pretty good. We talked about the parable of the fig tree a while back, and talked about how when you had these new converts coming in that were new to Christ, you know, we couldn't just expect perfection overnight. And we have, most of us haven't seen perfection in a lifetime of service to God, and we certainly couldn't expect that from people coming to Christ. And instead of that, as you go through the parable, it talks about the keeper tending to that fig tree, taking care of that fig tree, helping that fig tree along, and saying it would be up to the landlord there if he chose at the end of that what he would do with the fig tree, but to give it time. We're going to back up today and talk just a little bit about those individuals, those converts, maybe what they go through prior to be conver being converted to Christ and what, what that might be like. Many of us grew up in the church. It's all we've ever known. And so when we look at it, we look at it from the inside looking out. But what does it look like looking at the church from the outside looking in? How might that look to different individuals? What might they think about this situation? What might they think about the lives of people that they see go to a building, the same building every week, to worship this so-called God? We want to talk about that for just a little bit today. You know, we look at things pertaining to Christianity from the, outside, from the inside looking out. When we think about this book, you know, this book when I was younger, I got this one somewhere in the early 90s. Many times Bibles were not in a burgundy color. They didn't have a lot of color. Typically it was a black book. It was in black binding. It might have a gold cross on it. But people typically could look at that book and they might be able to tell you now that's a Bible. Whether or not they were Christians. They knew what that was. I'm going to tell you we live in a time now where that's not the case. People don't know what this book is. They don't know why you have it around your house. They don't know why you have a an app on your phone that says the Holy Bible. They just don't understand those things. And as we look from the outside and the inside looking out, we don't understand how that could even be possible for people's lives. You know, Barnes & Noble, they're quickly coming to an end because everything is going mobile. But they spend a lot of money marketing books, and that's what they do. And the outside of these books have attractive pictures and they have little sayings on them and little details about what's in that book. They make it very exciting and appealing in, try, in hopes of making you want to purchase that book. But you know the Bible's plain in appearance. You know we bought uh, Breely a book, a Bible, a while back and it, they've kind of updated those things in these days and times. It's got some flowers on it, it looks a little different. It's not the black bound book that it used to be. But the words that are in that book haven't changed. What's in that book is God's word. And that can lead people's lives and change people. You know, when we look in the pages that are within that book, if you have a literal look at Jesus, it changes what people think of him. You know, we know him as the son of God or our example or our savior. And rightfully so. But the world may see him as a common Jew. A man that lives over in a part of the world that's very unappealing to us as Americans. That's maybe what they see if they take a literal look at Jesus. Now are we going to be able to convert somebody that that's all they see? 
Someone that lives far away in a different situation, so far along the back, how could it possibly pertain to me in my life? Probably not going to have a lot of success with that, are we? You think about how you pictured Jesus. You know, I sat down and I thought about that. I said, what does Jesus look like to me? You know, we've seen different pictures. I can remember a Bible my mother had when we were growing up. And it had some renditions of what Christ might have looked at, you know. He had a beard and he wore the robes and the sandals. And many of us have probably seen the very picture I'm talking about. But you know, in my mind, Jesus has a Texan accent. And that's not correct. That's not correct at all. And other people, when they look at those things and they see that this book is written about a common Jew living in a place that I have no interest in living in, he doesn't talk like me, he doesn't look like me, what could he possibly do for me in my life? I think back to uh, Jason Martin. <laughs> you know, he had a lot of lessons and you know, we le I learned a lot of things from him. But what I learned about Jason Martin is Jason Martin talked about to a lot of people about a lot of different things. And he would get down and he would talk to them about their lives. He talked to many people. He talked to many that were uh, atheists. I myself have never talked to an atheist. I know they exist. I know they're out there. I myself have never encountered one. But it seemed like he encountered these people on a daily basis. And different individuals that had different ways of living that none of us could he possibly even fathom? These are the very people that we're talking about. They have no experience with God. They have no experience with His Word. And they have no experience of what Jesus could possibly offer them. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, I skipped that one on my PowerPoint. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. When we think about talking to these people, we may think, oh, it's just hopeless, you know. I can't possibly talk to these people. I can't relate to these people. But what does it say? This is the chapter or the verse that we always go to. That it's up to God's word to do those things. And we talk about this and we think, and it's very evident to us that we're here to sow those seeds. And it's up to God to give that increase. And that's what we have to remember when we think of going to these individuals that have no concept of Jesus and his teachings. It goes back to what we've heard taught so many times about that concept of planting those seeds. In Philippians 4 and 13, if I can get back, the Bible says, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we see this verse, and we've seen it misused many times. If you're watching a sporting event, you're probably going to see somebody holding up a sign about how their team is going to win because they can do it through Christ. And that's probably not what God intended from that passage. But we do know this as a spiritual passage, that God, living through Christ, we can overcome things in this life. We can overcome those spiritual things. And we can overcome things that require faith on our part if we live through Him. Many people don't have that concept. They don't have a concept of relying on something other than self. And that's where they go wrong. And that's why they can't possibly understand why it is that you would have a group of people 
that put so much importance on someone like Jesus. In fact, if you take everything spiritual away that we have as Christians, what type of life do you think we would have? What do you think your life would look like? Would it be very different? Hopefully so. Hopefully your life would be very different if we took Jesus out in all of the spiritual things that we have. You know, I've told this story before. I was watching a, a sort of a news uh, show one night, and they had some celebrity on there, and I don't even know who it was, but they were having a conversation about religion. And the person that was on this show asked this individual, he, he said, well, you know, I understand you gave up Christianity. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, I, I looked at that and I decided that just wasn't, wasn't really real. And he said, well, how has your life changed since you've done that? And the guy said, well, I looked back and he said, you know, I thought there'd be this great hole if I left it. And, you know, it just really didn't change a whole lot. You know, if we look at our lives and we can see that it's not any different without Jesus, then we're doing it wrong. Our lives should be centered around Jesus. He should be what's in us. He should be in our hearts. He should be in our thoughts. You know, I look back to the meeting we had with Mike McCorkle, and I thought he did a very good job. I learned a lot that week. It was a good week. One of the things that struck me the most is when he would ask us, did you think about Jesus today? I thought that was pretty powerful. And that's such a small, simple thing. But you know what? If we're not thinking about Jesus on a daily basis, how can we say we're centered around him? It's an important question. If we took Jesus out of our lives and it didn't change anything, why would we have any hope for what's written in the Bible? In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Everything we read within the Bible's pages is inspired from cover to cover by our Creator. We can have confidence in that. And we can know that we're living our lives in a way that's pleasing to Him and we're on the right track. We know that if we read it in the Bible, it's what was intended for our lives. You know, we come here and we, we want to find guidance. We want to know that we're doing the right thing. And we can study the Word and know that that's what's going on. In Micah 7 and verse 18 it says, Who is, who is a God like unto thee? that pardoneth the iniquity and passeth the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. What good news is that for us? To know that he retaineth not anger forever. He delighteth in, in mercy. You know, too many times I, take, we, I think we take passages like this and when we're talking to others, we think, wow, you know, that... I don't want to give people the wrong idea. And we may take that last phrase right there and, and sort of soft soul that. Because he delighteth in mercy. Because we sure don't want to think people, make people think we condone sin. And furthermore, we definitely don't want them to think we're encouraging sin. God's word is complete. He has said the things that he wants to say. And when we talk to individuals, we want them to know He delighteth in mercy. You know what? We've done so many different things 
for reasons that he shouldn't be proud of us, that he shouldn't love us. Yet he delighteth in mercy and showing that mercy toward us. Who are we to take from that word? We talk a lot about not adding to or taking from, but sometimes passages like this lead us to think, well, I just really don't want them to think that I'm saying it's okay to sin. If we're reading from God's word, that's not what we're doing. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 10, verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, it's important to let people know why we have hope. And I've heard this verse misused many times, I'm sad to say. I've heard it used uh, for different reasons. Say, well, this is why we have to have an answer about why we don't have classes. This has nothing to do with anything like that. Why do you have hope? Why do you have hope in Jesus Christ? You should be able to answer that. That should come to mind when you think of that. Why do you have that hope? Well, I have hope because God sent his son to die on a cross for the things that I would commit to reconcile my, myself toward him. That's why I have hope. That while I was yet a sinner, he loved me. That's the reason I have hope. And I think it's important that we know scriptures that support those ideas. All of those ideas come from scripture. But we should at least be able to put into words why we have hope and why Jesus is the center of that. It's important. And other people don't understand that that didn't, haven't led a life centered around Christ. You know, if you think back to the brutality that the Romans inflicted on many Christians, they hang them, hung them from posts and burned their bodies so that they'd have light for their chariot races. You know, in the process of doing that, they were just, they just marveled at the fact that while these Christians were burning on stakes, they were praying to God. We think about that. And we think about people in the modern day that look at our lives and think, why would they do that? Why would so many things to be done and so many things to participate in this life, they refrain from those things and they seek God? Sunday's a good day to do a lot of things. Why in the world would you go sit in a church building? They look at those things. And they've got to have a reason why you would want to do that if you ever have a, have a hope of getting through to them and planting those seeds that we talked about so that God can give the increase. So why do we have that faith? In Hebrews 11 and verse 1 it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But where does faith come from? In Romans 10 and 17 it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know, people in, in, uh, at times omit that second half of the verse. Again, we're back to the fact that people must open the Bible and do their best to study what, is, what it is God wants from us in, in their life. In doing so, those individuals will discover a growing faith in God's Word that they've never experienced. But you know, getting them to that point, to where they're actually seeking what it is God wants, 
Sometimes it's difficult just because it's foreign to them and they, they don't understand it. In 1 John 2, verse 5, it says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. You know, as we repeat the process of constantly searching God's word to do what's pleasing to him, we grow to understand his word and have faith that we're in him. Because that's where we seek to be, in him. And by doing God's word, our lives go down a totally different road from many others. We know our purpose and we can avoid many hurtful things in this worldly life. You know, one of the biggest blessings we have is the fact that we don't live a life constantly dealing with the consequences of sin. And that's not to say that, that we don't have sin, that we haven't sinned, and that we haven't dealt with consequences in our lives because of things that we've done. Many of us probably may have. That may be in our past. We may still be dealing with consequences of sin that's been in our lives. And that's just the reality of sin. It comes with consequences. And one of the biggest blessings we have is we have not lived a life of sin so that we're constantly dealing with these consequences. When you're dealing with people in the world that have lived a life the way they wanted to live on their terms, they're dealing with sin. They're dealing with consequences of that sin. And as we're on the inside looking out, we can't, I just don't understand how that could ever be the case. Well, you know, maybe they weren't raised like I was. Maybe they weren't as lucky as I was who had somebody in their life to guide them, to give them direction and point them back to God. Many times that's not the case. They didn't have that individual in their life. And a lot of times that's why they face the consequences they have of the sin that they've lived. In Psalms 119 and 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Time and time again, we search the scriptures and we see it over and over and over that if you're looking for direction in your life, here it is. It's in God's word. He's not kept it a secret on what we should do in this life if we want to be successful, if we want to avoid those sins and face those consequences. You know, this is exemplified many people we may see or hear that are incredibly wealthy yet are miserable and fear their life has no meaning. We see that. We've seen these stories. People that have all of this money and they've lived all of their lives to amass this wealth and now all of a sudden they have no family, they have no friends, they basically have nothing. And all the while they thought amassing that wealth was what was important in life. And it's not. And unfortunately, by the time they realize it, many times it's too late. Many times we haven't searched God's word to find the path that was intended for their, they haven't searched the path that was intended for their lives. And they look in many places and at many things and try and find something to fulfill their lives. But without God, these things will fail them. They find distractions that, can, that cover the fact that they need a Savior. You know, there's books. There's conferences. There's different things. There's speakers that will tell you a lot of different things. But if it's not centered around God, then it's just a distraction for what's really needed in life. In Psalms 119 and verse 160, it says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. 
You know, God's Word is what has always been intended for us. And it will always be intended for you no matter who you are. It doesn't matter who we are. This is the one time it doesn't matter who you are. And you know, if I look at my life and I'm lower class than a lot of other people, it doesn't matter. Because that doesn't matter to God. And it doesn't matter if I look at my life and I think, well, I'm so far above other people. It doesn't matter. Because what's important is God knows our hearts. And our social standing just doesn't matter when it comes to God. You know, several years ago, they made a, they made a movie in Plainview, and it, it was pitiful. It, it was not good at all. Uh, but there was a lot of talk about that and a lot of buzz around town that they were, they were making a movie there in Plainview, there in town. And these people were coming to town, and they were renting houses and moving people's furniture out and moving uh, celebrities' furniture in because that's where they were going to stay for the next month, month and a half. I don't know what it was. But there was a lot of stuff going around town. Everybody was so impressed with that. And I remember my brother Paul, you know, different people saying, well, they'd like to meet the celebrities or whatever. And he said, you know, I'd like to do a Bible study with them. You know, that, that's a diff just a different mentality. You know, just to say that, you know, those individuals, they need God too. And many of them are in situations where that's probably not going to happen where they're introduced to them. You know, he looked at that opportunity and thought, well, if he was going to have a chance to, to meet them, he might like to do a Bible study with them. You know, we can learn from that. And obviously, those individuals would benefit from, them, from it, just like anyone else would in their lives that may or may not know Christ. Everyone needs to know how imperative it is to heed God's word. To heed God's word. In John 5 and verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth the word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You know, we've seen that if we can persuade people to learn from God's word and truly search for God's in intent for their life, several things are going to happen. They can truly have confidence in something which is not something that this world offers. You think about what you have confidence in this life. And I think back to, um, I think it was Yancey Jones talking about Nigeria. And he talked about the things we have confidence in this nation. We have confidence in a road system that will get us from point A to point B. That they may not have in Nigeria. You may get there and the road's out. It's been washed out or something's wrong. They don't have confidence in that. We have confidence in a legal system that can work for us. They don't have that. You think about this world, we're sheltered from a lot of that because of the country that we live in. But you know, as far as life and what it has to, to offer people, there's many times you don't have confidence in what you have. Do you have confidence in your wealth? It could be gone tomorrow. Do you have confidence in your health? It could be gone tomorrow. So many things in this life you just cannot have confidence in. And many times we choose to have confidence in those very things. But we can have confidence in God and the, process, the promises that he's given us. Those individuals will be able to be led to Christ. 
not because of what we may do, but by planting seeds in their heart, God's Word can have an effect on them. God's Word can give them true purpose in life. And as they learn and grow as Christians, their faith will increase and they can take comfort in these, His teachings. And finally, they'll know that God's promise is to all who obey Him and His plan will always be consistent. Always consistent. You know, we look back and we see different times in the Bible and we think, well, my goodness, what are we supposed to learn from that? It just seems so bad. Time and time again, we read through there and it's just bad for God's people when they went through a time that was so trying. What are we supposed to learn from that? The thing we learn is those who followed God always received His promises. And when we can convince people of that, no matter how foreign this concept is to them, that Christ can have an effect on their lives, they can have confidence that in that. And hopefully that we can, we can teach them and help them understand that. So try to look at Christianity from the outside once in a while. You know, it could help us understand people's perception and understand why they may be resistant to what we consider a center point of our lives. Something that's so foreign to them, yet it's so, so much of, so needful to each and every one of us in our lives. 